Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. Special Summer Series, The Story of Drihid, Part 8. With 91% of teachers voting to stop Drihid from entering our schools, you'd think this almost unanimous vote of no confidence would finally put to bed the Drihid process and put a stop to the INTO from trying to get Drihid over the line and put the teaching council back to the drawing board. However, as we'll see in this part of our story of Drihid, that isn't what happened at all. Instead, a coordinated and carefully orchestrated set of plans was put in place beginning with the slightest of changes. Just one word to change everything. Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from OnShaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a weekly podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to the podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please let your teacher friends or anyone else who might be interested in primary education know about the podcast and if you've enjoyed it, please leave a review. With the overwhelming majority of teachers voting to not cooperate with Drihid in its format by the end of the 2016 school year, I wondered on my blog how the Teaching Council were ever going to pick up the pieces and try again. I came up with a terrible metaphor, which I'm sure you're not surprised to hear, for what I believed what was happening. I believed in order to cross the bridge and get Drahid into schools, I argued that the Teaching Council's biggest mistake was using the wrong vehicle to get over the bridge, and the vehicle they had chosen was a steamroller. You see, a steamroller, I argued, had only one direction, and it wouldn't deviate from it, until the INTO membership put a blockade in its place which basically stopped it from moving at all. I suggested that instead of a steamroller, they possibly needed a bus. (laughs) Now, you'll have to bear with me because it is a terrible metaphor and very bad analogy. But basically, a bus knows its destination, knows where it needs to get to. But somehow, sometimes, they need to have different routes to get there along the way. And much like bus routes these days, if passengers aren't getting on board at any particular stops, a change in direction might be needed. And in the end, there might be actually a good route where everyone gets on board. I I told you it was a terrible analogy. Anyway, I believed the Teaching Council needed to start all over again with a few different bus routes to see which ones work and which ones don't. I offered a few alternatives and I mentioned those in a previous episode of uh, or the previous um, parts of this episode as did uh, other agencies and I again called on the teaching council to try them out. The problem was that neither the INTO nor the teaching council were really interested in what the members had voted on and for me in one of the most shocking displays of disrespecting the ballot of its members they simply made a small change to Drihid, completely unfounded in any research, 
and the INTO then immediately lifted its non-cooperation directive. Now, <laughs> looking back at my blog, and I'm sorry to keep bringing up my blog on Shaw.net, I predicted it. And at the time, I used to make uh, predictions for the year ahead on onshaw.net and it was actually just, there was no podcasting uh, back in those days. Uh, well, with the exception of, a, of actually this total aside here, um, there, was, there was podcasting going on. It wasn't called podcasting at the time, but uh, there's a fantastic teacher. Um, he's retired now, uh, Joe Malloy, who was podcasting back in, I'd say 2002, 2003, like, um, and he had a, a whole kind of setup for podcasting um, in, in, a, in a basically a re, um, a disa- well, basically not in the, a, a, a basically a reconfigured disabled toilet where he set up a studio and his pupils, primary school pupils, used to podcast once uh, dur- uh, weekly. Um, fantastic initiative, well before the word podcasting even entered the lexicon. But anyway, there weren't very many people podcasting back then and I certainly wasn't one of them. It was all blogs in those days. And I used to, every year at the end of the year, predict what I thought was going to happen uh, the following year in um, on, on Shaw.net. And this is what I said on the 31st of December 2016, when I should have been sitting having a lovely New Year's Eve uh, dinner. But anyway, this is what I said. I also think the Drihid debacle will finally come to an end in 2017. The model will end up being a weak compromise where students will leave college and will receive a year of mentoring. At the end of the year of mentoring, the new teacher will be considered inducted. This model will be flawed, but will keep most people happy and the teaching council will claim that this is what they wanted from the very start. This massive upheaval in primary education will end with a limp. Call me Mystic Meg, but that's exactly what happened. The change was there was no longer going to be any evaluative function with Drihid. And while it might seem like a fairly innocuous thing to do, simply remove the thing that was causing the problem, essentially, the trouble was that the teaching council up until then were justifying the evaluation aspect of Drihid, centering the decision on its academic research best practice and policy and so on. So it was astonishing in many ways that they simply whisked it away after they had spent so much time and money, I'd imagine, on proving that evaluating one's own colleagues was essential to the process. And if you think back to the previous part of this episode, even John Carr, when he was talking um, about the teaching council and probation, he said it was essential that its own members probate and induct their own members. Now, looking at probably the most recent academic paper before this random flick of the switch, without basically, I mean, they essentially the teaching council decided to take away the evaluative function with no academic research on it. But I decided I'd find the academic research. <laughs> and the last and the most recent thing I could find before then was one in, in March 2016, where a number of Irish academics acknowledged evaluating one's own colleagues, sorry, I, that, I stripped over that, evaluating one's own colleagues might be difficult at times in what they called judge mentoring, which, is a, 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 which they put in inverted commas, 
But they quoted a study on the matter by uh, researchers called Yusko and Feynman Nemzer in 2008, which found that, and I'll quote it, assistance and assessment can coexist. Participating in assessment and evaluation did not prevent mentors from uh, from forming trustworthy relationships, although it sometimes made that more challenging. And I have a link to that piece of research. Despite all of the time and energy the Teaching Council had put into making sure that there was to be an evaluative sign-off for over five years, when it came to the crunch and 91% of teachers deciding this wasn't something they wanted to do or felt comfortable with, instead of looking at other models which could have easily included a form of evaluation, they simply removed the evaluative piece from Durhid without considering the consequences of doing so. And there was very good reason for having an evaluation piece to Drihid up until then, and now those reasons were disappeared. There was to be no other change, not a single thing to plug the gap that was going to be left without the evaluation piece. Essentially, if the NQT didn't write a single lesson plan, didn't write a single Kuntas Misul, wasn't able to manage their class in any way and spent the entire year doing a terrible job, without the evaluation piece, that NQT could simply say they did a fine job and there was nothing anyone could do about it. When this question was raised, what was the answer? Because it was raised when the evaluation piece was just gone. And not that anybody wanted to be evaluating their colleagues, but they said, but you've just taken it away. What was the point of it in the first place? And why have you spent the last five years pushing this evaluation uh, piece? And now that you've gotten rid of it, um, there's going to be a gap uh, between teacher training and being a teacher, you know, and, and, and things like lesson planning, Kuntus Misos, management, all this sort of stuff that you can only do when you're in a class full time, when you are in charge of a class for a full for a full year, not this silly teaching practice where you're faking it, um, essentially. It's, it's, it's not real. It's an artificial process. If you spend five weeks in a class, it's not your class. You don't make the rules. You don't do the planning. You don't do anything, really. You're just kind of doing maybe 50% of, what the, of a teaching job. Well, when the question was raised, the answer was, and according to the Teaching Council, what you could do was the school would use a staff disciplinary policy. That's what the answer was. Sure, you just use your disciplinary policy. Now, for those of you that aren't working in the primary education system, I'm sure you probably know this too. (laughs) It's not very easy to discipline a teacher. And I'm sure if you counted the number of teachers ever let go through a disciplinary system in the last 10 years, if you even reached one, you'd be doing well. Now, I'm not talking about absolute incompetence, as in in terms of like hitting a child or, you know, as, 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 as was in the news, a, a teacher putting masking tape over a child's mouth and things like that. That's fair enough. But for just not doing your planning well, if, if one teacher in the last 10 years was let go as a result of that, you would be doing very well. It's exceedingly difficult to fire an underperforming teacher and it's a thankless, stressful, time-consuming, vicious, peerless, threatening and because it will always be vehemently legally challenged by the teacher fully backed by the INTO, ironically enough, it will cost the school minimum of thousands in legal fees even if the insurance company picks up most of the bill. 
Schools do not have HR departments. They rely on the goodwill of eight volunteers, almost none of which have any of the skills to go through one of the most difficult HR jobs of all, disciplining a member of staff. It can also take more than a year and the chances are very high that the school will have no chance of winning a case like this. Essentially, long story short, I can't see how any school would put themselves through the hassle and the stress of any of this. And the teaching council know this. Everybody knows this. They know it very well. By removing the evaluation of function of Drihid without plugging any of the gaps meant that up to 4% of teachers qualifying were going to end up in the system despite not being good enough. And if you don't remember where I got that 4% from, this came from the inspectorate themselves who claimed that the uh, that the a DIP model, as it was known as a diploma model, the inspectorate model of everything, what they were able to do was catch between, uh, they were able to catch about half of the people who weren't, uh, who were underperforming. They thought it was a weak model themselves and they said they were only able to catch half of the people, which is about 2% of all teachers. So in some ways, 4% of teachers qualifying aren't good enough to be teachers. That's a huge percentage. The standard of professionalism in teaching, thanks to this, could only go in one direction. For an organisation that championed itself on being grounded in academic research and best practice, this simple swiping away of evaluation was exactly the opposite of what they were doing. And in May 2017, the Teaching Council, in the words of John Carr, uh, in Teachers and Teaching Unions in a Globalised World History Theory and Policy in Ireland, that's the name of a document, um, a, a book that he was involved in writing, finally, and this is what he said, finally approved Drihid after five years. May 2017, folks, was when the Teaching Council finally approved Drihid. And this is also all it took for the INTO to lift its directive without reballoting its members. Essentially, the INTO wanted Drihid over the line and they packed the teaching council with their own members who would vote in favour of anything that got Drihid over the line and without bothering to reballot their members, they simply removed the directive that 91% of their members had voted on. And the INTO was beginning a very worrying campaign of ignoring its members' wishes. We would soon see the INTO blatantly disregarding a vote over pay inequality when over 50% of members rejected the first PSS PSSA pay deal. And anyone saying that people should show up to meetings or that we are the union started to sound very naive. And in some ways, they sounded as stupid as women who think they're making changes in the Catholic Church because they get they give out about they give out to their priests or get involved in church committees. The fact is that local branches were fast becoming like those church committees. A bunch of people getting little ego boosts by giving them positions, but essentially whatever they say or do or vote upon doesn't happen unless the boys at the top decide it suits the overall agenda. Maybe some of you think I'm being unfair here, but think about it. Think about anything that's happened. If the INTO leadership aren't in favour of a particular thing, it doesn't happen. Now, some of you will probably say, ah, no, 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 no. I'm going to get, here's, the, here, here's, a, here's a, an example. What about that Soprano-style intervention you spoke about about a year and a half ago that members did on John Boyle where he didn't stop teachers from heading into schools in January 2021 in the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic? Remember pre-vaccine times, by the way, where almost certainly this would have caused horrific consequences. And in fairness, you'd be right. 
you know, that was a time where the INTO membership did stand up against the INTO leadership um, and stop something potentially incredibly risky and potentially fatal from happening. But the thing is, I argue, that's breadcrumbs. It made no difference to the overall campaign of the INTO in reality. Some of you might wonder what that campaign is. And to be honest, that's a fair point too. I'm not really sure post-pandemic what the INTO are looking for, except to slowly claw back the cuts from the recession by taking on more and more work for teachers and principals. They bargain off all these kind of gradual, um, you know, clawing back of things like uh, positions of responsibility um, and so on by ask making teachers and principals do more stuff to get it back. And in this world of, I don't know, positive partnership, the only losers are the workers on the ground. The leadership have their chicken dinners and their promise of wearing a silly gold chain. I guess because most of them never really left school, they still think it's important to be a prefect rather than being disruptive. Anyway, despite 91% of members voting against Strahid, the directive was dropped instantly. As soon as the Teaching Council removed the evaluative function, it was the directive was dropped immediately. It was a stunning show of disregard for the INTO's own members. And while not the first time ever, it was surely the first time that members had voted so overwhelmingly against something that the leadership simply ignored them as quickly as possible. What followed next is possibly one of the most shameful episodes in union history and has, I would argue, continued the pattern of an overall theocracy. People will point to small victories, of course, to try and prove me wrong, but every theocracy um, will give their members small victories, especially if they don't go against the overall vision of the theocracy or theocracy. I don't know how you pronounce it, I think it's theocracy. Whether that was the inability to read the room during the COVID pandemic by happily agreeing to send people back to classrooms in January 2021, to lifting the directive on SSE despite not achieving the aims to falsely accusing legitimate lobby groups of being injurious to the union. In some ways, this was probably the most highly orchestrated attack on their own members we have ever seen. When 91% of members are against something, it really isn't good enough to lift the directive without another ballot. But that's exactly what they did. And something had to be done. Enter the Special Congress. For those of you who don't know what a special congress is, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what the definition of it is. And if you Google special congress, you seem to just get a load of GAA things, which makes me think the GAA is much more corrupt than teaching, which I guess maybe that's a good thing. We're not that corrupt. <laughs> but anyway, I'll just give you my understanding so it may not be 100% correct, but bear with me. Essentially what it looks like to me is an emergency meeting called on by members of a group when they believe there is outstanding business to be done or if there are question marks to be made over the decisions of its leaders. And in this particular case, the CEC representatives, that is the leaders of each INTO district, voted to lift the directive on DRIHID, the non-cooperation on DRIHID. 
By the way, while CEC representatives will probably tell you they're their own men or their own women uh, and make up their own minds by themselves, it's exceedingly interesting how when 91% of ordinary members of the INCO weren't in favour of Drithid, that more than 50% of CEC reps somehow had exactly the opposite opinion. Hmm. Anyway, ordinary members were able to call meetings to put forward a resolution to stop the directive being lifted, and that's probably the best I can do in my definition. You might be wondering why it's so difficult for me to give you a definition. It's because in teaching, it rarely ever happens. In fact, this was the first time that a special congress on any issue was ever called using this process in the entire history of the INTO. I think it's worth repeating that again. It was the first time in the entire history of the INTO union that members called for a special congress. The divide between the leadership of the INTO and its members had reached a new level never seen before. In fact, the Voice for Teachers blog made another excellent point about the Teaching Council itself, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. As I mentioned before, teachers had the opportunity to vote teachers onto the Teaching Council, and the overwhelming majority of votes went to teachers that stepped forward on the promise of halting Drihid. The Voice for Teachers note, The real tragedy is that those elected and appointed to the Teaching Council to represent teachers constitute a majority on the Council. If all those directly elected by teachers or appointed by our unions to the council had voted to support the proposal that Drihid should not be rolled out until remuneration was agreed when it came before the council, we would not be in this position. Clearly, some of those supposedly representing the interests of teachers on the teaching council have questions to answer. And the depth of feeling among ordinary members on Drihid was so high as well as how the CEC lifted the directive, meant ordinary members were about to enter unchartered territory. In fact, 11 out of 12 districts in the Republic of Ireland passed the following motions to hold a special congress. And I'm going to read what they said. A. It rejects the interpretation that Drihid, the Integrated Professional Induction Framework, is not evaluative. B. It notes with concern that evaluation of NQTs by colleagues still exists under this new framework within the joint declaration. C. It demands the participation in uh, PST, uh, professional support teams, must be properly resourced, funded and remunerated. D. It instructs the CEC to ballot all members within the next school calendar month on a directive not to participate in or cooperate with Drihid or any form of probation induction as part of the Teaching Council registration process unless and until appropriate resourcing and remuneration is agreed and all aspects of peer evaluation are removed. Now, I'll be honest, I was a little bit disappointed by the motion because I felt they were too heavily focused on remunerating teachers for taking part of it rather than removing um, what they were doing. I have to say I was satisfied all evaluation was taken out of it so I don't know where they got the idea that it was evaluative I mean I mean I do know where they got 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 it from so I was a little bit disappointed however I agree teachers involved should be paid or at least um very least adequate resources were put in place and I also thought the focus on non-evaluation wasn't really the point of why Drehid shouldn't have happened really it was when it happened for me 
I think Drehid should be evaluative. It just shouldn't happen in the first year after college. It should happen in the last year of teacher training. For me, Drehid should always have taken place then to ensure that people were ready for the classroom. Otherwise, what was the point of going to college? However, as young people say today, it is what it is, or it was what it was. And perhaps it was going to be a way to stop this deeply flawed system from taking hold in the education system, as flawed as the motion was. The special congress took place in late 2017, and according to the Twitter user Kevin, who I, I mean, that's all I can see, who was there at that time, Druhid got through as the leadership fought to push it through due to a badly worded motion which the leadership kept until the congress. Instead, leadership should have helped word the motion. It was a really interesting tweet really which summarised how the INTO leadership were so against their own membership. They didn't even help them word a properly worded motion. So effectively on that basis they waited and waited and waited until the congress and tore the motion apart. Now I don't have the details, I wasn't there, uh, but I remember, um, I just, I, I remember uh, at the time uh, the INTO leadership speaking very much in favour of uh, Drihid and people trying their best to stop Drehid from coming through. And there's several stories about what happened at that special congress. The delegates that were to attend represented roughly 250 of the 40,000 memberships uh, members of the INCO, a tiny percentage, less than 1% of the members. And on paper, all of these delegates now I say on paper, in bold here, all of these delegates were the same people that went to the main congress in Belfast earlier that year. However, rumours circulated that either one of two things had happened. The first rumour was that many delegates that went to Belfast couldn't go to the special congress and in their place pro-Druhid representatives were strongly encouraged to take their place by the INTO leadership. And the second rumour was that representatives that went to this congress were encouraged by the leadership to vote in favour of Drihid. However, look, I'm not really into conspiracy theories and even if I believe either of these things to be true, I can't back them up. I, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I mean, I believe, I actually do believe in the truth, but I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, so I can't actually put them forward as valid because I can't back them up. Effectively, we only know two things. The first thing is by the time we got to Special Congress, we found out that Drihid was linked to the pay talks coming down the line. Now, how this came about, I don't know, but we know for sure that the INCO had agreed that the first PSSA pay deal would be linked to teachers' cooperation with Drihid. Um, and, you know, we I have that in writing and... Um, uh, because I asked it directly to the INTO and they said yes, it was directed to the pay deal. This would have been well known to delegates. The second thing, and probably most effective, were the debates. Essentially, the CEC reps and the leadership of the INTO fought hard and debated strongly in favour of putting through Drihid. They convinced the majority of people there was no evaluation anymore and it would be silly to vote against it. And I imagine the word silly was used. And the reality is they had enough loyal members to pull it over the line. Essentially, just over 200 people ended up speaking for over 45,000 at this special congress. And we'll never know what the result of the full ballot would have been if they had have had a full ballot. But in the end, Drihid one.
And it was game over. There was nothing more anyone could do as a profession. And Drihid, after that special congress, became a reality with none of the resources, supports or structures that should have been put in place. Drihid became a meaningless tick-the-box exercise and possibly for one of the first times in cliché history, Drihid is literally a tick-the-box exercise. There is no evaluation, but equally there is no proper oversight. Not any proper oversight at all. Every year, up to 4% of NQTs coming out of college spoof their way into being fully inducted as teachers. Privately, at principal conferences, people will talk about the decline of the profession with shrugs of their shoulder. Yep, the bridge was finally built and we all just had to get over it. The INTO and the Teaching Council had succeeded in their task of getting Drahid over the line in spite of their members. It was the start of the serious breakdown between both organisations and their ordinary members, which continues and continued the following year with the leadership of the union ignoring their own members in two ways. There was a ballot for the first post-recession pay deal known as PSSA, and throughout the weeks leading up to the vote, the INTO came up with the social media hashtag INTO explains, which essentially was recommending that members should accept the deal by explaining only the positive aspects of that deal. This was despite a resolution being passed at the previous INTO Congress stopping the leadership from making recommendations to ballots. However, worse, when 53% of members voted not to accept the pay deal, the INTO leadership simply ignored the vote and decided that because other unions had accepted the deal, they thought it would be in our best interest to ignore the will of their members. And when the pay deal vote came up again, the INTO managed to reverse their ruling that they couldn't recommend a vote and they spent weeks campaigning that teachers should accept the deal, spreading untruth that it, would event, that it would finally achieve pay equality for lower paid teachers, even though it didn't really. And ultimately, they got what they wanted in the end, as we essentially signed ourselves another blank check. The result of this blank check has meant that we are heavily restricted in what we could do during the COVID-19 pandemic, for example, in terms of industrial action, but I fear much more will come down the line as we head towards 2026 and the new curriculum coming and what we will have agreed to cooperate with thanks to the PSSA 2 pay deal. Drihid, in the end, was a bridge too far for many. Many principals had enough and they retired early before things got any worse. So many bridges were burned in the whole episode. The gap between the leadership of the INTO and ordinary members has never recovered and if anything has become wider with fewer and fewer members engaging at branch level. People just feel there's no point in going to meetings because unless you go with the agenda you're considered a troublemaker or at worst injurious. injurious. Yes, they allow a certain amount of discontent but ultimately the people in positions of power do so in the naive belief that they can make a difference. And while it's lovely to hear the great speeches and all that, ultimately, unless the leadership wants something to happen, very little 
happens. Basically, what we now have is a large invisible membership who simply use the union as an insurance scheme so they don't get fired if they run into trouble. And perhaps this suits the leadership. And I know, you know, as I've spoke to union leaders of different unions, they, I, and I'm, I'm going to quote one of them without naming their name, a happy union leadership is when they have an apathetic membership. And in many ways, that's true. Because the fewer people that are interested, the easier it is to get things through. The teaching council also got what they wanted, at least almost, for now. The weird follow-up to Drihid was another initiative with an Irish name called Cusson. And Cusson began as a scheme which was going to link teaching council registration to a minimum amount of CPD or professional development every year that teachers would have to take. For now, it's been rejected by members and like Drihid, you'll hear Cusson being used by different organisations even though it has no meaning whatsoever. For example, Mary Immaculate College encouraged schools to take on teaching practice students in 2019, stating this could be used towards Cusson accreditation. Obviously, something was supposed to have come down the road and they forgot to edit their letter, but anyway, it never happened. The trouble with Cusson and probably Drihid is there's nothing stopping them from becoming what their original intention was. Both of them are only one vote away from becoming evaluative. The heroes of Drihid who got themselves voted into the teaching council are no longer there, mostly replaced by union automatrons who will simply do the union's bidding. So who knows what's going to happen next? I guess we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get there. So there we have it. We're finally at the end of the bridge. Seven parts of the story of Drihid. A lot of bridges burned over the last 10 years. As we enter and we continue on this journey on the road where I suppose ordinary members of the teaching profession and its representative body are the, the gap, the lane between them is widening and widening. You would think having a self-regulatory body like the teaching council would mean that the members would have a proper voice within that organisation. You would think something that calls itself a democracy, the INTO, would also have a system where membership was listening to. But as we've seen, the gap between them is just um, getting wider and wider as we go along. And I would claim that Drihid really was probably, if not the um, stimulus uh, for this gap, it was one of the major um, landmarks in how our profession has changed. Uh, I want to thank you all for bearing with me over this very, very long uh, summer series. It's gone into autumn. <laughs> and if you're Irish, actually, you will probably correct me and say the whole thing is in autumn because it was only published first in August. But it was during our summer holidays. Um, thanks so much for listening uh, to uh, the story of Drihid. I'd really appreciate any comments or commentary you might have. Perhaps I've said things that are unfair. Remember, all of this has been based uh, mainly on things that I have read, uh, research that I've uh, done on uh, papers under HID, on email exchanges between me and uh, union leadership, from discussions with teachers, principals, and um, and the Teaching Council and the INCO. Um, and obviously some of it is conjecture uh, on my part and maybe uh, 
that's where I may be wrong and I'd be very much happy to be corrected on it. Uh, as I said, it's about seven to ten years of research. I think it's time to publish it. Um, really, in reality, I would have thought that uh, Drihid, in a way, might have had more stories. But I think by the end of 2017 and the end of Special Congress, that was it. And the road and the bridge came to an end. So it leaves me with nothing more to do than thank you uh, for listening. We'll be back to normal service uh, with other um, uh, things to discuss in primary education. I believe it's going to be a, an interesting year uh, with special education, with the new curriculum coming along the line uh, for and all the rest of it. Uh, but I'll be there uh, commenting and uh, on what's going on in primary education. So thanks again for listening. All the very best. Bye bye.